This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. It is the Royal Blue Podcast brought to you by the Liverpool Echo. I'm Ian Kroll and we are live across YouTube and Facebook. Please remember to like, follow and subscribe to our Echo Everton FC Facebook page and our Everton FC Royal Blue YouTube channel. Please also remember to send in your questions. As mentioned, we are live and we can answer them as soon as they come in. Today's show, I'm joined by the Echoes Evan FC reporter, Chris Beasley. Chris, how are things? You've been off and away to Copenhagen. How's <laughs> My that been? A winter break, yeah. yeah um, it's been worth the warning. If, you, if you've not been, it can be, you've been quite expensive, you know, and it's talking about um, Everton and, um, you know, issues with finances. I think I had a few issues with finances after that one, but it was a nice little break and uh, two two countries in two days as well because it ticked off Malmo uh, as well, where the Eurovision is, I, I was told, um, this year. So, yeah, nice little break and, uh, yeah, back to it now. Was it a, a kid's holiday, family holiday, or was it just you and the missus? Yeah, just the two of us, yeah. Yeah, first time since before lockdown, just the two of us go away. So, yeah, nice little, like I said, Everton on the winter break, so an opportune moment for me. I think even Joe Tom- Thomas was surreptitiously um, planning it with Mrs. Beasley behind me back, so okay. slide into the old DM, so be careful with that one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, very nice, thank you. What was the weather like? Was it cold? Was it- oh, same as here, yeah, yeah. A bit combination of cold and a bit of rain, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, expected this time of year. It's very similar. So it sounds the home of Tommy Gravison, of course, but yeah. yeah. But you didn't see him, did you? No, nah, I didn't see Tommy. <laughs> no. I could have done with some of his money, and he's supposed to have made a few bobs since he retired. And he's, yeah, uh, yeah. reports suggesting he's based in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, enough about your travels <laughs> and Copenhagen adventures. Um, we are returning now back to the, the cauldron that is Everton Football Club. What are the um, just what are your thoughts really over the next couple of weeks? Are you excited? Yeah. Any you know, fearful, you know, anxiety? What, what what's going on through your head? I think a few issues have to come to a head, don't they? Um first and um foremost with the the, the ownership. Um the deal was struck was announced in September, then at the time said that Mr. Mishiris obviously has agreed to sell his entire 94.1% stake to 777. We have to make sure we get all those sevens in. Triple Triple seven, seven. yeah. (laughs) By the end, that was expected to go through at the end end of the calendar year. Last year, hasn't gone through. We get towards the end of January now. I understand that, you know, triple seven are put in sort of not insignificant amounts of money already into into the club um, so that can't continue forever it's got to go one way or the other so um, we've got to see that one coming to fruition or not as the case may be I mean from my understanding that they, they, they've submitted everything they've been asked of and there hasn't been um, any further questions on that score so it's in the, the hands of the Premier League and uh, obviously continuing on, on with the Premier League um, Everton's um, Appeal for the the, the initial um, ten point um, sanction um, that we could be seeing that one in the, in, in the next few weeks because obviously that one has to be sorted out before they start looking at, at the second charge um, on the pitch in terms of transfers. We always expected that it would be a, a quiet January window forever, and so I'm not expecting any uh, big deals. Or certainly on an incoming point of view, but it'd be interesting to see just um, if any business is done at all between uh, now and the end of the window. Oh yeah, amazing. Um, okay, so as a reminder, we are live, and uh, please remember to submit submit your questions into the chat, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook. We've already had in a couple already, so I will get to them as soon as possible. But 
uh, Chris, and just for everyone who's listening, just today's agenda in pretty much bullet points. We're, we're going to talk about Everton's potential transfer ban as a as a punishment, which uh, our colleague and the Echoes Everton FC home and away. Everton reporter Joe Thomas reported on earlier in the week. Um, we're also going to talk about the appeal process. Um, any transfer news, and of course, we've got a massive game against Luton at Goodison Park in the FA Cup fourth round on Saturday. So, you know, plenty of football talk, but also plenty of off the pitch talk as well. Um, but yeah, Chris, we'll 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 start with the you know this you know potential punishment that that's come to light. It's a um, you know alternative punishment to a, a, a transfer, the points deduction, I yeah. suppose, a transfer ban. I'll mention Joe has talked about this um, in a couple of his pieces earlier in the week. Mm. Um, transfer ban, you know, not great. No, I mean, <clears throat> in many ways, depending on how you look at um, this particular season um, with, with the 10-point deduction, um, and, and a transfer ban could actually potentially be be more harmful. Certainly, as, as we know, if a 10-point deduction had come in last season or the year before, it would have been game over. It would have been a death sentence for Everton. That would have seen them relegated. Might not be the case this year. Of course, we've got the, young, the appeal and the second charge, all that comes with that or, or doesn't come. But in terms of a, a transfer ban, given that there are, as Joe has said in his piece, um, so many players potentially coming out of contract for Everton in the summer, and it's a chance to do some significant rebuilding for Kevin Fairwell, the director of football, in conjunction with Sean Dyche. could be a really big summer off the pitch for Everton. I mean, we can see this every year, but it really could be this year in terms of you get into the end of a sort of one era in terms of contracts and chance to rebuild. So if Everton were hit by a transfer ban, could seriously uh, hamper their their ambitions on, on that score because it is you know, scoped to be um, a summer of, of really significant change um, for Everton. It's interesting, I think, when you look at the um, the ten point deduction, and we keep obviously I keep saying as well, it's the the biggest sporting sanction in the hundred and thirty five year history of. English top flight football, never mind just the Premier League. Um, um, one of the alternatives then was was which been discussed was 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 a um, transfer bin ban um, rather than um, the points. So would it be it'd be interesting to see if it actually switched that way if Everton got the points back but then were hit by the transfer ban in terms of what is actually worse because when the f- 10 points initially came in at the end of November a lot of people were saying well they should still be all right anyway Everton were mid-table side I think I think they would they still be about 12th now if, if it wasn't for the points deduction that this was if the year if you're ever going to get hit with the 10 points this would be the year to do it and that that were Premier League looks weak at the bottom, certainly compared to what it was last season and maybe next season. So this was the year to sort of get that points deduction and you'd still be okay. But um could be uh, more long-term ramifications if, if they were to get this um, transfer ban in, in terms of their, their chances of sort of rebuilding the, the squad this summer. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the articles earlier in the week from Joe talked about, you know, Everton's priorities and, you know, obviously the main priority is to, to stay up this season. But, you know, should we do that then? You know the the next step would be to set the the club up for for next season. You know, obviously, I'm sure that's what every other Premier League club are doing. So, Everton stay up this season, regardless of whether the points deduction stays or not. Um, the summer obviously represents a a massive opportunity to to push on, and obviously Kevin Thelwell and Sean Sean Dyche will I'm sure have a, you know, you know, are, are going to have a lot to say about that. So, well, you know what. 
it's it's very hard to to say what would be worse at this moment yeah. in time, the points deduction, because we don't know how the season's going to pan out, or a, a transfer ban. We, you know, we'll come on to the squad in a second, but what I think, how much of a blow is it, you know would it be, and what what would you actually prefer? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because uh, we, we don't know what the ramifications with the the appeal and then the second lot, because, I mean, it's been um, pointed out already, Sheffield Wednesday is something similar in the championship. They were hit with a 12-point um, deduction. That went to appeal. Those got half to six points. So, realistically, using that as a test case, you could say that Everton might go from 10 points to five points. But then... What happens with the second lot? I mean, I've just pointed out already that three quarters of this time period for the second charge actually it's covering the first charge. So there's all kinds of stuff like that, but also with the, the process of the whole thing, Everton aren't happy. They've got some high profile people on board now, not just the super silk who's been discussed. Um, <laughs> this um, nice top lawyer you. they've got on, yeah, <laughs> probably because it, it slips off the tongue a bit, uh, read easier than, than his full name, but yeah, um, obviously, uh, high profile people like the um, Metro Mayor of the City, Steve Rotherham, despite the fact that he's obviously, and he, you know, he makes no bones about it, you know, he, he's a Liverpool fan, but he, he said that something doesn't smell right when he saw this with the 10 point deduction. And Andy Burnham spoke, um, heard them both speak ahead of the Aston Villa game on that Sunday morning, um, speak, spoke passionately about this. And that, that was obviously before the second charge came in. That, um, also, some other high-profile people, including the former governor of the, the Bank of England, sort of uh, questioning this whole process. Everyone seems to be caught in a, a crossfire between uh, the Premier League trying to um, sort of flex its muscles and show that it can uh, deal with these f- things in-house and um, what the transparency that, that that goes with that or doesn't, as, as the case may be. And obviously, we've seen Richard Masters um, speaking on the subject publicly as well. Since then, it's just the whole thing is just a mess. So it's just hard to say. I can't give you an easy answer, yes or no, which one's better or worse, because you just don't know what's going to happen in terms of the the, the points deduction. I mean, Keith Wyness, the former another former chief executive at Everton, he spoke about it and said, you know, if the appeal went well, Everton get the whole um, ten points back. Um, and so we just don't know um, how how it's going to come down. Obviously, we know it's going to be a different independent panel. It won't be the same three individuals who were on the original independent panel. I mean, it isn't an independent panel, but it's it's commissioned by the Premier League, and there's only so many people can be on the panel. They can't let you and I go on the panel, or or even Joe Thomas. So there's only a certain amount. I have probably named down for yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for so many other teams, maybe we will sort of look at Nottingham Forest case. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it was interesting to get there was a guy on the, the original panel, was formerly involved with West Ham um, United. But um, yeah, this it's just not it just there's no sort of clear pathway in terms of all that, and it's not just for evidence for the whole Premier League. All of those teams in the bottom half of the table who sort of looking over the shoulders, uh, a fear of relegation. It's it's just. Not good enough, whether you're Evertonian or whether you're a fan of another team or just a general observer of football. That you know, the supposed when it is, you know, the the best domestic division in in world football, the strongest domestic division, the supposedly the the blue chip um, product when it comes to um, club football, and uh, we might get to a situation where it's getting towards the end of the season, you still don't know what anybody needs to do to, to stay up. It, it, it it's not good enough, and it, it needs sorting. But yeah, you can't give you an easy answer. What is this one worse than the other? But um, like we say, if Everton were to survive. Um, 
it could seriously hamper their, their, their progress going forward. And we know Sean Dyke, I've spoken about it a lot myself. I think he's the best effort, uh, managerial fit for Everton since David Moyes was appointed. He's done incredibly well, especially when you consider all this noise, as he calls it, which is which is going on in, in the background. But even with his managerial skill set, he's going to be struggling if, 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 he, if he can't actually bring any new faces in, in, in the summer. And it, it really could um, hamper Everton's progress. Rather statements. Yeah. From Blue Nose on YouTube, who says, We've had our arms tied behind our backs for the last four seasons. A transfer ban won't mean a thing to us. Suppose that's one thing that way of looking at it that Everton have, okay, they've not been suffering from a transfer ban, but they've seriously been hampered in terms of their spending power. And it's something that Sean Dyche alluded to himself when he was asked on the subject for the first time since the, the second charge um, came in. Um, and he said that uh, it's very different, isn't it, to the Nottingham Forest situation where they've got promoted for the first time in over 20 years back to the Premier League and they've basically um, um, broken the bank and they've you know, spent um, top dollar on all these new players. That, that, as Sean Dyke said, there's been no um, on-field advantage here. It's an on-field um, sanction, a sporting sanction. But yeah, Everton, have, net spend has gone right down. We all know about the years of excess in Farhad Mashiri's early time at the club. He's something he's alluded to himself, obviously, in the summer of 2022, when he said that we've not always spent large amounts of money wisely. And that, I mean, that's an understatement, isn't it? But it's because of those years of excess, Everton are sort of feeling, well, feeling the pinch is an understatement um, now in terms of the the, the, the sanctions. And as as um, was it Blue Nose, our contributor, yeah, yeah. as Blue Nose says that, um, yeah, they have been um, spending next to nothing um, in terms of. See, Ashley Young was the first signing of the of the the, the Dyche era, of course, a player who Dyche knows well, having played with him himself during the, the latter end of his career at Watford. But you know, when you're picking up 38 year olds in the free transfer, okay, Young brings a plethora of experience at this level but it just shows you just the sort of constraints that Everton have been working in even when they have spent big money and um, the likes of Beto stuff like that I think they've been highly structured deals and that certainly aren't um, large amounts being handed over straight away I imagine very similar with Yusuf Chimiti uh, as well so yeah Everton's spend has gone Net spend's gone down right down. It's one of the lowest uh, in the Premier League for the last um, couple of years. And that's why it's wrong when people have kind of been saying, oh, well, Everton were warned about this and then they went and signed X, Y and Z and stuff like that. I mean, we've got a piece coming up later on, uh, probably. Uh, we'll look at that. And, and uh, Everton have cut the cloth accordingly. And I think that's one of the reasons Blues are sort of feeling so sort of victimised with this. That, you know, that Everton have really sort of cut back after that early spending on the machinery, yet the, the chickens are coming home to roost now. So you you <clears throat> sorry, you kind of touched upon the sport and advantage aspect of this yeah. this whole thing. And it was going to be my next point. And we've also had a question or a statement, whatever way you want to um, describe it, from Gary Toolster on Facebook, who said, what is guaranteed is that the Premier League will do anything to penalise the club. It has to remember that there was no sport and advantage. This whole saga should not have been implemented. Numerous clubs have built stadiums, and the profits and sustainability did not have to take, be taken into account for the infrastructure and development. Um, so, you know... I think this is obviously we've we've shouted to the roofs about this sport and advantage. Yeah, um, is it literally stated that Everton haven't you know benefited from any sport and advantage from from all this. So it is it's just a a crazy strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, you can understand the yeah. frustration of Everton fans. Yeah, on ourselves I mean, when you know the rival fans they go ah well you sign them or you you sign the other. Um, 
see that um, that that someone at this latest charge. Um, it just sounds like we've got the builders in next door. It does, yeah. If you can hear any uh, noises, by the way, it's the builders next door. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not my stomach rumbling. I'm making sure I had a butty before we came in here. But yeah, um, like if you look at the um, the, the sheet from um, last season. Players like um, Amadou Anana, they come in about 33.5 million, highly structured, and uh, Dwight McNeil about 20 million, stuff like that. And then Anthony Gordon was sold in the the, uh, the January transfer window. Uh, the way it goes at the moment with the, the current rules, um, homegrown players are a pure profit when you when you sell them, which is a bit of an interesting rule in itself, and that almost like you're being incentivized to, to sell your homegrown players. So when you do sign the player, um, that cost of the transfer is actually spread over the the length of the contract and uh it's hence why Chelsea getting around it was signing all these players and getting them on really long contracts um so if you add somebody like uh Anana say for argument's sake 30 million on, on, on a five-year contract that's only goes down to six million on your sheet on your balance sheet whereas Gordon has sold for pure profit whether that's 40 million raising rising to, to 45 million so it's not like Everton were going out there and in a way like Nottingham Forest were just signing all these players for for, for big money they, 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 their net spend is, is, is actually really low in, in, in recent seasons and, and the, like I said with these rival fans saying oh well Everton signed all these um, players well the, well they didn't if you look at what obviously you're in the Premier League you're not just going to pick everybody up on a, a free transfer um, they didn't seem to be reckless in the way that they were operating they've been actually um, working in conjunction with the Premier League for a long time before all these charges hit and they were being very careful to make sure that they uh, did remain within the um, parameters so that's the, the huge frustration for Blues it, uh, is when the, the the fingers being pointed like how oh, Everton didn't put the brakes on and they carried on spending and spending. But when you actually look at the the, the balance sheet, is actually one of the the, the lowest uh, net spend. So it's, it's just a, it's a ridiculous argument when people say, "Oh, well, they no, they did spend this money to to stay up." And um, it, um, after you got the the rival clubs who were involved and the ones who went down last season but no it just doesn't um, hold water and uh, that's one of the, the obviously the huge frustrations um, um, from an Everton point of view is this idea that they, they've continued to spend recklessly when you look at the, the realities of the balance sheet they haven't done On to the next subplot of this topic then um, you know with or without this transfer ban if it comes to fruition and you know the Premier League and the independent panel see fit to award Everton a, another punishment Um Everton have got a couple of players out of contract in the summer, which, you know, is not ideal. You know, each summer I'm sure there are players out of contract, but if we if we list the players now, it probably wouldn't have too much of a massive impact if these players were to, to be released and let go, but there are some where you would put question marks on. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, Deli Ali. You know, he's not featuring at all. Um, he, even without the transfer ban, I, I assume his, his contract would just expire. Um, the next one is Andre Gomez. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Adrissa Gay. Then we've got Ashley Young, um, squad goalkeeper Andy Lonergan, and then club captain Seamus Coleman. So, you know, it's not like, you wouldn't say it's like the core core squad, but the problem, you know, there are players who are featuring for Everton at this moment in time and question questionable whether they want to stay themselves. Yeah, I mean the thing with the the, um, the the transfer ban, obviously they can't they wouldn't be able to 
bringing new players that be the the concern. You look at the ones who who are those ones who are um, going out, out of contract. I'd imagine there'd be a new deal there for Seamus Coleman if he wants it. Um, Ashley Young, to be fair, despite his, his age, has actually figured uh, more than anybody at right back this season. I know he's been out injured for the last month, but see potential there. And after you address the game, might end up um, signing maybe for for another year. But those other ones, Andy Lonergan hasn't played for the club, has he? Um, Delhi, I'd imagine, uh, would go, and as, as well as Andre Gomez has done in recent weeks, I'd imagine it'd be time for to him to move on as well. So there are some big wages there to be cleared off the books when Delhi goes, when Andre Gomez presumably goes. I'm not sure on an address of gay, but it might, you might be safe for argument's sake if Everton were to get a transfer ban. Perhaps it is. It would have been time for Adrissa Gay to sort of been, to to be phased out, but they might be forced to re- retain him because if they can't get anybody else in, then you're gonna you're gonna be struggling, aren't you? And uh, you suppose you know Adrissa Gay is a, is a proven player in in that position, so it sort of uh, it could potentially hamper the um, the ambitions of sort of reshaping the squad. But yeah, there's some uh, some some big earners on on that list. But um, it would be frustrating if you couldn't um, reinvest that money saved by those uh, wages on some some young players that um, Sean Dyche and Kevin Fell or Mike Fancy. Who would you let go then, and or would you who would you want to offer new contracts to? I'd like I'd I'd, I'd um, give Coleman a new deal regardless of whether he's playing regularly or not. I think he, um, <clears throat> so obviously he's just broken the um, club's Premier League appearance record and it's quality rather than um, quantity for uh, Coleman now appearance wise. I mean he's got a few more uh, sort of club legends on on the horizon. I think he is the potential next season if he was to stay on to to break into the top ten and even go beyond the likes of Dixie Dean. So. So obviously, Coleman will be, be worth a new deal. I mean, Andy Lonergan, if he wants to stick around as as number three, I think I, either way, I suppose a big one for Ashley Young could go either way for the second half of the season. He's been uh, been a regular for the first half of the season. I know the jury's out uh, in terms of um, how much better he necessarily is than the likes of Nathan Patterson, given that Coleman was injured for a lot of that um, period. Uh, I think that one could go either way, as as could Gay, which I think depends on whether Everton would get a transfer ban or not. I think if Everton were able to sign new players, they might decide, well, thank you, Adrissa Gay, for a couple of years back at the club in the second spell, but go separate ways now. But they might be forced to try and offer him a, a new deal should he want to, to stay on uh, if they were to have the ban, whereas I would imagine... Andre Gomez, like I said, you know, has done well, but um, I think it'd be time for him to go. And uh, poor Delhi, you know, all these well documented off the field issues, and also the fact that he's hampered by this highly structured deal, which kick in payments um, when he plays. Uh, I think is it most seven more games, something like that. Just think the combination of all those issues, unfortunately, mean that there's there's no uh, long term career for him at Everton. I think the Coleman one probably makes sense. We obviously know he's he's getting on a little bit now, and his injury issues are you know, probably coming to the fore a little bit more. You know, he's not going to be able to play every week, but we obviously do have a, a Nathan Patterson who, yeah. you know, Gab Buckland said on the latest podcast that the jury's still out on Nathan Patterson, which is fair enough. I think, you know, there is still questions to be answered over whether he's going to be Everton's long-term right-back. You know, hope he, hope he is, but okay. I think the midfield probably is the one that concerns me. We, You know, Gomez has come into the fore unexpectedly, but, you know, it's probably, it's fantastic that he has and it's fortunate that he has because... After like the core, he's been injured, and I don't know really what we would have done yeah. if Andre Gomez hadn't come back in. Yeah, I mean, it's a very opportune <coughs> moment for Andre. You know, he'd been out in the cold for 19 months, hadn't played since um, he got 
got the hook in that Crystal Palace 3-2 game. Obviously, he went off on Everton, we're losing at half-time, and then he had a loan spell at Lille for a year, so he'd been totally out of the picture. Came back at Tottenham just before Christmas, scored a great goal, and obviously set one up as well, but that one got disallowed for Calvert-Lewin, very unfortunate, because DCL's barren streak continues. That might have all changed if that one had been given. Um, so as well as Gomez has done, I think that you know, he's, he's a player on big big wages and it'd be a chance um, to to um, move him on. But um, yeah, the central midfield is a, is a concern, especially FC, we know, has been a lot of admiring glances from Amadou Anana, uh, long-term interest from the likes of Arsenal and Manchester United, even if, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I w- who knows, but I wouldn't imagine a deal would get done this month, but you know, they might come knocking um, in, in the summertime and, um, similar to his compatriot Romelu Lukaku, there's a lot of people within the Amadou Anada camp seems to always have at least one eye on what the, you know his next move might be. So if an offer comes around for him, it's all well and good if you're cashing in on somebody like Anada, but it's no good if you can't actually spend it. Suddenly you've got whatever, say for argument's sake, 60 million in the bank and you can't do anything with it because you're hit by a transfer ban. Well, maybe... You know, better on actually holding on to the player, but yeah, the central midfield is a concern. James Garner's come on leaps and bounds this season, but I say Adrisa Gay's not getting any any um, younger down. The question marks over Anana. You know, it, it could be an area where Everton want to reshape things, and uh, you know that can't happen if there's, a, if there's a transfer ban in place. I mean, the <clears throat> the Anana one could be an insane situation where if we do get this transfer ban and an offer comes in for Anana. You've suggested obviously two scenarios. We we keep him because we can't afford to let him go, as in because we we need the, squ- the squad depth. But we set we obviously we sell him, get like 60, 70, 80 million for him, but we can't spend the money. Yeah. But like if we were to keep him, you would suggest maybe his valuation would maybe drop a little bit because he's got one year less on his contract. He, you know, would he would he be deemed as a successful a, sex, a successful season uh, following on? So. You know, this profits and sustainability, you know, rule is just causing havoc all over the show and it's really doing the opposite of what it should be set out to do. Yeah, like you said, <clears throat> the idea that it, promote, it promotes the idea that sell your homegrown assets, you get you sell them for, for, for pure profit. But um, yeah, it's 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 um, it's causing all kinds of trouble. Cause like you said, we've seen the January spending is just down down by a lot across the board. I think other clubs sailing close to the wind. I'm do it like we said with Amadou and Arna. I think Arsenal quite fancy signing in this summer, this this window, but they they probably hampered in terms of their financial fair play and how close they are to um, the limit. I mean, yeah, it would be ironic in that um, if Everton weren't hit by the ban, it might mean that they say, "Well, sorry, you you, you know." Um, Amadou, you, you've got to stay regardless now because you can't get anybody else in there. I understand that he is very highly rated within the club. It was interesting when we got to the halfway point of this season, uh, tossed up all the average ratings for the Everton players from the, the Echo player ratings on a game-to-game basis. Anana, Anana was actually quite low down. He averaged, I think, just over six or something like that. Um, and there's about 15 players above him and, and the ratings. And just got a feeling he could do a lot more. I mean, to be fair, he started 2024 a lot better, more promising displays there. Just think there's such a big talent in there. But I understand the people within the club, they really rate it. They think he can come on leap, leaps and bounds. And uh, when there was um, some reported interest from Manchester United last summer, and they are long-term admirers of him, that... Uh, I was told that people within the club think 
in time, he can be just as good as Moises Casado, if not better. And if you consider that Casado went to Chelsea for 115 million last summer, I'm not saying that Everton are going to get nine figures for Amadou Anana, but that's the fear is that if he does move on, he could blossom into this sort of world class player elsewhere. So, you know, if the time comes that Everton do have to, to cash in on Anana, it's got to be on their terms. And, and hopefully they, they would get a large amount because obviously they've already paid. I think I understand about thirty-three and a half million, and I think that both Lille and in turn even possibly Hamburg might be due some some cash as a, as a sell on yep. there. So you're not going to get the full amount. So you know it would have to be a large amount. MNAFC on YouTube says, "Let's face it, we are practically on a transfer ban anyway. We can't spend anything, and we still owe for Beto, as well as a fine due to revenue from league position. Uh, league position plus the ten points. It's a triple whammy." Um, it is, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's what we had. Similar, wasn't it? Similar comment from one of the, the previous um, contributors. Yeah, it's not like Evan is all of a sudden going to go from spending loads to not being able to spend anything at all. And yeah, they're, they're, they've been um, very prudent in, in recent um, windows. And even, like I said, big money outlays for Beto been um, highly structured. And Kevin Fellwell sort of alluded to that himself in terms of money being paid at a, a future date rather than a large um, sort of base amount um, um, str straight away. So, yeah, it's not like they're going to go from a, like Chelsea when when they got hit by their transfer ban from uh, regularly breaking the bank to having nothing at all. I think they've been used to cutting the cloth accordingly. But, no, it's, it's, it's just the time of this whole thing as well in terms of next season's going to be um, Goodson Park's um, final season. So, first and foremost, it'd be an absolute travesty if um, Goodson Park, the ground, you know, English football's first purpose built stadium and the ground that just hosted more top flight matches anywhere else. If that was to be spent out in the Premier League, that'd be a travesty. So, hopefully, that doesn't happen. But then, if, the, if Goodson's final season and it's hit by other issues like this, like the transfer ban or, you know, who knows? No, Everton could be all right this season, but hit by a transfer ban if things were to go on a downturn next season, and then you're going into the season where they move to Bramley Moor Dock and the new stadium. I mean, that's awful too. So, yeah, just a, what should be a time for celebration and time for Evertonians after such a long period of frustration and tough times for, for you know a generation now coming up to 29 years since the last trophy win. This should be the time when Everton are looking forward to the future and the, rather than reflecting on a glorious past, which is now long gone, just looking forward to the future with optimism and a bright start for the new club, but just dreadful time and they're not even able to enjoy as much as we like seeing them. They, uh, we we lap them up, all the issues of the, uh, the pictures, sorry, of the, the stadium, the new stadium and the progress and, you know, if taken in isolation, they're absolutely fantastic. I love all that side of things. But it's just all hampered by this this um, mess which is, is going on uh, off the field and the, and the club at the moment. And I just wish that, 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 they, that, that the timing could be so very different so you could actually enjoy this period. But unfortunately, Blues can't do it. That's been going on for a couple of years, as you know, continues now. Well, we're getting loads of questions in, loads of statements in, loads of opinions. So just a reminder, continue to do so. I am going to try and get through them all as, as, as soon as I can as, and as many as possible. So Chris, is, you know, the back and forth world of the transfer window, it's also worth pointing out that um, Dan Juma and Jack Harrison uh, will, you know, return to their respective clubs in the summer. So there's two players also lost. We know Dan Juma hasn't featured much anyway. Jack Harrison, you know, being a mainstay in Sean Dyche's, Sean Dyche's team, so he would be considered a miss. But we're also worth mentioning that 
Neil Mopai and Mason Holgate would re- potentially return to the club. So, you know, the back and world, back and forth world of the transfer window strikes again. It's uh, four players there, you know, going separate ways, but, you know, who could have a, an influence on Everton's future in the next couple of, uh, well, certainly short-term future and long-term future? Yeah, um, Dan Hume is an interesting one because obviously we understand... Um... Villarreal, perhaps understandably, are concerned about his lack of playing time at Everton. It has gone up a little bit in, in recent weeks, but it was, uh, was telling that he didn't start the, the FA Cup replay. Um, it's one of the things with the way that Sean Dyche operates. He's got a small squad anyway, but he doesn't like to tinker and uh, change the team round too often anyway. So Dan Juma was understandably frustrated about his lack of minutes. We understand that uh, Leon, with his representatives, have uh, reached out and uh, have got a deal in place. If they, if they, Everton did want to let go, but from my understanding, Everton's position is that you know he, he's part of Sean Dyche's plans and they want him to remain where he is. Um, I think it's doubtful that um, he would be at Everton beyond uh, this season, but given that uh, bodies are so light at Everton, they wouldn't want to lose him this window because I think you'd really struggle to get somebody of comparable sort of quality in as as, as a replacement, certainly at this um, late, late stage. So let's see. Um, I think that Everton want to hold on to him, certainly for the rest of the season, but I think it's doubtful beyond then, unless he has some incredible second half of the season, comes on leaps and bounds, whereas Jack Harrison's very different, isn't he? Like you say, he's he's been more or less playing all the time since he got himself um, fit on, on that um, right wing. I'm not... I'm, too short in terms of the the clauses there. If if um, if Everton stay up and um, if Leeds United don't come up, uh, I think there's a, there's a fair chance if the money is there and the transfer ban isn't, that that, that Jack Harrison could could stay on and become an, an Everton player permanently. Neil Mope, um he seems to have burnt his bridges. Uh, it's a no for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's made a few comments, hasn't he? Since I mean, I think it was tough for him, and he got some uh, some stick from certain quarters, which was 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 beyond the pale. But you know what was it? Something like thirty games, one goal, just didn't work for him, and a lot of that wasn't necessarily Mopey's fault. He was played in a system that he wasn't used to. He was always his best. It seemed when he had a strike partner alongside him. That was never the case at Everton, and he was anything but a like for like replacement for Dominic Calvert Lewis. So for a multitude of reasons, didn't happen for him at Everton. And he's made a few comments since then. He's been alone at Brentford. They do have an option to make that one a permanent. I mean, they might not fancy it if he, do, if he doesn't do as well as they'd hope. But obviously he's scored a couple of goals uh, now. Uh, so if he's Brentford's player, if they, if they want him. But I just don't see him coming back and playing for Everton. Stranger things have happened. Um, I think Alex and Yarko ended up coming back all those years ago after he infamously left the pitch at Arsenal. So, um, yeah, we don't know with that one. But, yeah, I wouldn't imagine he'd, he'd be back. And uh, who's the other one? Oh, yeah, Mason Holgate. And who's actually been linked with a move to Sheffield United today, which is very interesting if you consider. Um, there's a couple of big factors here in, in this one. Um, obviously, he's on loan at Southampton. He would have seen that as being um, the opportunity for him to relaunch his career after it, um, surplus requirements at Everton. I think he started five games in the Championship all season. Hasn't featured in the Championship since November. His only appearance since then was an FA Cup game where he played at right back. Not part of their plans, but it's not the case of oh Everton just bring him back and send him somewhere else. Um, his low his his wages are being subsidised by Southampton. It's got to be in Everton's interest. So any interested party would have to 
pay the difference and possibly that Southampton end up paying a bit themselves just to get him out of there and uh, get free up um, options in their squad. So it's got, it's got to be right for Everton. Everton won't be wanting to make a loss in terms of his wages. But also, if he was to go to Sheffield United, it might suit him personally. He's a South Yorkshire lad. He's going back to where um, uh, his roots there. But would Everton really want to sell him to? Or I'll loan him out to a, a rival, given that obviously... Um, so many um, permutations at the bottom and we don't quite know where anyone stands. But, you know, Sheffield United are a club below Everton at the table. Would you really want to strengthen one of your, your rivals? So I'm not sure whether Kevin Fell will give the green light to that one. I suppose it all comes down to money again. But, yeah, that, that, that one's maybe uh, not straightforward at all. Key question, definitely. But just just wanted you to get, get an answer from if it was, um, you know, regardless. Say, say we didn't get the transfer ban, yeah. so everything was straightforward. Um, Harrison. Would you, is he a yay or a nay? Are you it too early to, to decide? George, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be leaning towards yay. I know he seems to frustrate a lot of the time in that he can drift out for games for me. Um, he's clearly very gifted. We saw obviously like that strike against Bournemouth. How many players within the Everton squad could have been capable of, of a finish like that? Obviously, he got one against Man City as well. That's a bit more a close range effort. So he does offer um, a threat in, in, in the final third of the, the pitch. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see before the end of the season. I know he, he seems to fit the Dyche style. Dyche likes the way he'll, he would uh, put in a shift and maybe in elements of his game that don't come as naturally for him, he'll, 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 he'll uh, track back and help out in that respect. He can certainly put a cross in. He can, he can do that. He's shown that on a number of occasions. I'd just like to see, I suppose it's the sort of nature of wingers. They do tend to drift in and out of games. Um just like to see him involved a, a bit more within games rather than, sort of, you know, it, it can somehow, somehow it seems to drift away from him at times. But yeah, that one could go either way. But at the moment, I think positive enough to suggest the signs that, you know, you would want to, you'd want to make that permanent um, come the summer if he was to have a good second half of the season. For me, his final ball and end product just seems to be slightly lacking as well with, you know, crosses into the box when we've got a, you know, a, a Dominic Carver-Lewin. In the in you know spearheading the attack, yeah. who you know is in, who can be instrumental when he gets the ball in the six yard box as well. But you know, Chris, just an interesting point as well that you touched upon, yeah. which I have got down on me. Um, we list the questions, so it goes hand in hand with the transfer ban. If you know it was to come to fruition, but Dice likes a small squad. Yeah. Why? What? What's the <laughs> philosophy behind it? We we know why Everton have got a small squad anyway because yeah. of the situation we they find themselves in, but. You know, suggestion, and you've even said there that he it suits Dice better anyway. Yeah, I mean, as you said, there's the practicality of the, the whole situation. Never, you know, this isn't Chelsea now, when Everton have got a, a small pool of players um, now, so we, the, that is just the reality of the situation. But I think that does, they say, suit him again in his previous time at Burnley, where he was for nine and a half years. It was probably a similar scenario there, in that he was operating in the Premier League smallest market and one of the lowest budgets. So he probably had a similar situation there. Obviously, he didn't have an embarrassment of riches, so he would. Again, from a practical point of view, you'd have to operate with a, a small squad. But I think from his own personal um, viewpoint, you know, he, he likes to go with players who he, he feels he can trust. Ashley Young certainly one of them for all that you think about Ashley Young or the pluses and minuses. You know, you've got to earn his trust, his, his respect in that um, side of things. So he likes uh, uh, people he knows he can depend upon. And he, I think he generally thinks that... Um, with the disruption of things of, of of chopping and changing, it's interesting because, like I said, that 
I'm a huge fan of Deitch. Uh, I'd, I'd get, that'd be my priority, number one. Hand him a long-term contract and make sure he's Everton for a long time. Uh, I think he's a great fit for Everton. And, uh, in terms of uh, not just the results, just the way he, he carries himself and uh, the, the, the values that he places. But one thing which is interesting now that we live in the five substitution era where you can, in theory, change half of your outfield every single Premier League game. Is that he is reticent to to use the subs and that's what part of the problem with Dan Juba's not always been getting looking at also. Lewis Dobbins has been getting the nod when he has been using the subs ahead of Dan Juba sometimes. But... Uh, yeah, I think he genuinely thinks that it can disrupt a lot of his methods are implemented about shape, the shape of the team and how you set up. And I think if he thinks if you start chopping and changing too much, that, that disrupts that. And uh, he likes that continuity, which which goes with it. Did he famously, I don't know if it was the first time it had happened, or when there was a Burnley game and he actually, even in the squad Number era, they they named the team and went one to, one to 11. And that, and that was sort of indicative of the way Dyche operates there in, in terms of uh, uh, just wanting to stay with those that core 11 who, who, who he trusts. Old and, school. Yeah, but I, I like that. I don't think that that's not not a problem for me. In fact, I'd, I'd have been more old school than Dyche and I wasn't happy when he changed the keeper out for the cup, even though Joe Virginia got a couple of clean sheets and produced a couple of sort of um, top-notch performances. Certainly he's vindicated that decision in that respect. But yeah, I don't think old school is a is a negative for me. Um, you know, there's a few uh, Everton Dars might agree with me there. It's not necessarily uh, a bad thing. Old school, those old school values. Um, obviously the game's changing, society's changing, but you know, it don't mean that those traditional approaches are just got thrown in the bin. I think there's a lot to be said for them. But it is interesting, yeah, that in, like I said in the five so era that he, he does seem so reticent to sort of shuffle the, the pack on occasion but you know he's got he's got his, his vindications for that he feels that he likes that continuity okay just a final point on this topic before we move on the only other time and the la- i think it's the only other time you know, the last time this a transfer ban has, has happened in the yeah. Premier league is is on is on chelsea yeah. um and just reading through you know little bits and doing research you know it's got to be stated that there is actually no set Premier League template for any punishments on this. So okay. surprise, surprise <laughs> on that one. Um, but the Premier League didn't actually set that set this. It was um, give Chelsea the, the transfer ban. It was it was FIFA. Okay. Um, so what you know, but but kind of once again, we're we're going to be at the the mercy of the the Premier League and the, in the independent panel because there's no set framework for a punishment of of any of this kind. Yeah. Did you, did you... Don't know, do you? They said that it's all everything and nothing. Who knows what what could happen? Like I said, or what how that actually be? I mean, can you not sign anybody? Can you sign free transfers? I'm, I'm not. I'm, I must admit, I don't, I, I don't know what you can do, what they can't do. Maybe there isn't a, a clear framework in there. Was I think wasn't it? Frank Lampard was it when he was at Chelsea and they had the transfer ban and that's what yeah he was bringing through the youngsters at that time people like Mason Mount were, yeah. were coming through so and that's an interesting another thing to, for it's happened today Frank Lampard obviously speaking about his time at Everton described last January as being like the Wild West mm. um, so yeah there's just so many um, things that you just can't envisage it at this particular stage you know i'd say that just the overriding feeling was you know it, it would be uh it would potentially be uh very significant for everton if they, if they were if they were to get a transfer ban. you know it's not going to be good it's not like they can sort of um brush it off as oh okay well we've only been signing 
players for not so much anyway. I think given that the the, the the situation that presents itself in terms of restructuring the the, the squad, uh, it, it's going to have serious ramifications. We can say that without necessarily knowing the, the ins and outs of what might be coming Evans' way. But yeah, like you said, there's just so many things up in the air at, at the moment. It's really sort of difficult for any of us to predict with any sort of uh, certainty uh, just what, what things might be like in, in six months' time. Yeah, just uh, Mike on YouTube's asked why all the talk of the transfer ban all of a sudden. Um, questions: Has the media been briefed? But obviously, the you know Joe Thomas yeah. wrote a piece about it earlier in the week, and you know there was uh, some suggestion as well, even before that, that there could be a, a punishment for it, and that could be fitting for the punishment that they're going to receive. Yeah, and, um, like I said, uh, <laughs> throwing Joe under the bus uh, with this one. It, it was his story. I don't know what Joe's been. Told or or not told, like like we discussed at the start, and I, I was over in uh, Copenhagen on my my winter break. But no, on a serious point, um, it, it it has to be one of the alternatives. Um, if if Everton were to get the points back or some of the points back, it's one, it's one of the things. I think it's one of the things that the club have even dis- discussed themselves at, at at briefings that that is an alternative rather than the, the points that it is one of the other sanctions as seen as rather than an on the pitch sanction. Um, I mean, it's still affecting the football side of the business very much so, but rather than an on-field sanction of actual punishments for um, a financial breach, um, it, it, it's hitting the club from a financial, uh, sorry, for, in terms of a, of a trading um, point of view. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the things that is on the table and has always been on, on the table in this respect. Okay, just a couple of questions then. So the Blues on YouTube, I think we've kind of touched upon this one already, Chris, but he's just said it's regarding the small squad and how Dice likes it. Is it a case that Dice likes a small squad or is it a byproduct of uh, the managers uh, managing a skin club, basically? So I think we yeah, can of... Yeah, I think it's about like we said already, and I think it's, it's both, isn't it? It, it? It's what he's known from Burnley, it's what he knows at Everton, and uh, it's the way he likes to go about things. And JEFC1969 on YouTube has said, regarding Harrison, I try and... Get a better player than Harrison, if that is possible. 100% effort, but lacks sufficient quality. Again, I think we kind of touched upon that. I think we obviously missed these questions as they were coming in, but just catching no up on them yeah. now. But um, I think I've said, you know, you said you like Harrison. I like Harrison, but I do think his end product is is poor. And it's probably why he's playing for a club like Leeds and, and Everton, really. You know, all, all the endeavour and effort that he, he puts in. Um, but, we'll, you know, room for improvement. Let's see how he goes in the, the second half of the season. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on then from the, the this transfer okay. ban because you know we don't know exactly what's what's going on because you know this appeals process is just gonna run and run. But some transfer news and transfer rumours then. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Anana, the Telegraph reported yesterday that Newcastle have been linked with him. You know, he was kind of linked last week as well, and they're suggesting that. Almiron is going to be sold to to push this transfer of Anana. I mean, they've got all the money in the world, Chris Newcastle, but they, they yeah. obviously can't spend it. So they're having to sell players as well to to yeah. fund fund transfers. It's all a bit iffy, isn't it? That the Saudi owned um, Newcastle United they, they, they have to sell Almiron to the Saudis and to push through another deal. Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, like I don't. This could be the the last chance to sort of get get a bargain from Everton, but just how much of a bar? Just how good is it for Everton if they, if they were to sell Anana in the last week of the window? Well, we've already talked about the issues in central midfield. 
we're all the money in the well not all the money in the world but I just don't see how this get the green light from from Everton at this stage of the the, the transfer window you know possibly uh, the goalpost change in the summer you could see you could see it happening but I don't see what there is to be uh, to be gained from Everton uh, doing this because it's not like you have a fire sale and Ever all oh, Everton's financial issues are all okay and tickety boo because they sold somebody in January because all that's being taken care of that's being looked at now it doesn't change what's being looked at already what's done is done so personally I don't I don't see uh, how, how that one gets all over the line certainly this doesn't seem to make much logic from an Everton point of view at this stage we've just had some responses back from the answers that we've given so Mike on YouTube said thanks for answering but it seems really unlikely to me that they would set precedent for breach one of being points deduction, then decide breach two is where they have a different sanction completely. So I don't think he's he's far he's far off in what he's saying. But you know, I just think everything's so up in the air. We just don't know what's going to happen, do we? Uh, well, what they could well what they might say is that as as Everton have argued that the uh, the ten point deduction is uh, unjust and wholly inappropriate. Well, if they say okay, yeah. <laughs> for want of a, a better word, uh, the the original panel made such a pig's ear in the first lot that we're throwing that out and we're going to do something else. I mean, that could that could happen. You say, okay, yeah, points deduction is ridiculous. We're not going to do that. We're going to hit you some other way. It could it could happen that way. But I'm like everyone was just speculating on this. We we hear so much about it, and you know, we get briefed about it. Perhaps I might know that bit more than some of the readers but we're all hearing so, so many things from so many angles i mean it's a it's a viable alternative i i would imagine yeah you know obviously as soon as we get the answers to this like or every other media outlet i'm sure we're going to bring you it as soon as possible you know whether that's on the echo website or whether that's via our podcasts on youtube facebook itunes or spotify so uh, just also as well chris the blues on youtube you know the harrison question he he's agreed on harrison he said most wide players are inconsistent uh and he does lack he does lack pace, which, you know, probably he, he isn't wrong. Um, okay, ne next uh, transfer rumour then that was that I've seen today that was put in the blog, the Everton FC blog on the Echo website by Paul Wheelock. Ben Godfrey to Leeds, anything in that, do you think? Well, Ben Godfrey's been getting a lot of interest, hasn't he? You know, the, the Tottenham were looking around, uh, Atalanta, they couldn't uh, get that one to, to work. He's certainly not getting a look at Everton, is he? Um, and rightly so, though, to be fair, with the, you yeah. know, the partnership of Brandt, yeah. and Tarkovsky. And then even the, at left-back, where he's kind of produced, I would argue, his, his best performances, uh, not necessarily last season, but in previous years. Vitaly Mikolenko's come on leaps and bounds, so, yeah, it's difficult for him to uh, get him there. And Michael Keane's probably first reserve in terms of the centre-back options if, for whatever reason, Brampwaite or Tarkovsky isn't available or they do go with three at the back. So, yeah, it's very difficult to get it. Ben Godfrey, it's a great shame when he first came into the club before, you know, such a athletic player. Um, came as a centre-back and he, 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 um, he always um, says, you know, he's a centre-back first and foremost. He said... Probably more outings, I would imagine, off the top of my head, that full-back than, than centre-back. Uh, mm. And because uh, of that athleticism in the pace, he was able to go up and down. I know his old man was a rugby league player, and it's almost like you think thinking maybe he'd be better at that sport. He's so, he was so great getting up and down uh, the line, but he started seeing himself as, as the ball-playing centre-back. And yeah, like I said, he, he certainly can't get in a, a look in at Ellen, but it all depends whether Sean Dyche feels he can. Uh, he's got enough options there, because... You're okay, aren't you, if everyone's fit? If Tarkovsky, to be fair, would he play about 30, 30 games 
um, plus for Burnley like four years in a row. I think, no, sorry, it was like 30 games plus five years in a row. And I think he did 35 games plus over four years. So he's shown a great um, degree of consistency over a number of years in terms of getting himself on the pitch and getting fit, retaining his fitness. So you've got to hope that he's all right. Brunfrey had a, a knock last summer before he came back to, to Everton, but has played most of the games since he came into the side. If they're fit, well, you can probably um, go without Ben Godfrey. You don't need him there as a fourth-choice centre-back, but it only takes something to happen to him or even something to happen to Michael Keane. If you're down to the bare bones, you don't have anybody else. And then that's the issue. I'm sure that Ben Godfrey would probably fancy this move or perhaps fancy a move to try and be playing more regularly and obviously he's a Yorkshire lad and again we're talking about Mason Hull getting Sheffield United he'd be going back there so as all that sort of thing and Leeds United big club outside the Premier League or aspirations to get back there but just how light do you leave Everton it's an issue if everyone's fit well, you can pro- you know you can probably go that second half of the season without him, but it only takes one injury and then they're in trouble. So it's a, it's a tough one, it's a big one to call really for Felwell and Deitch. Well, that situation's already happened this season when we played Burnley. Yeah, played both played very well, but it still happens. Yeah. Uh, Godfrey and Keane had to had to come in. Yeah. Another player then, um, not an Everton player, but he has been linked with Everton, and he seems to be, if not already at West Ham, Calvin Phillips. A little bit good to that, you know. We maybe potentially missed out on on him because I do think he's a, a top player he obviously hasn't worked out for him at Manchester City but yeah. I think it's a you, you, you see this type of thing happen all the time to, to English players more predominantly than ever you know they, yeah. they, they have a good season with maybe the parent club they end up going to City you know Arsenal Man United whatever for, for big money deals and it, it, it more often with City it seems to happen but it obviously hasn't it hasn't worked out you know Guardiola's actually come out and said publicly he, he's not wanted at, at City so a loan deal at West Ham, um, yeah. have ever missed out on you know a top player here? They missed out, and if they you know there was there was a genuine interest. I did a piece in our transfer diary last week. I said that there was actually a lot of um, reasons why a, a temporary switch to Everton would have made sense for Phillips. You know, he could have done that without moving house, and it would have uh, been a decent move. But I always thought there was a lot of. Uh, that's why we know it was unlikely in terms of the, the finances. Again, we're talking about the, the money side of things. Okay, you're only getting them on loan, but you'll be commanding some significant wages at City, and I imagine that the finances are, are always kept this one out of reach uh, for Everton. And obviously, it's it's David Moyes who could potentially reap the the benefits there. I think he's he's a potentially uh, very good player who, who's obviously looking for a, a, a clean slate and uh, an opportunity to revive his career both for, for club and country. Okay, so we are going to talk about Luton. Obviously, massive game on Saturday in the FA Cup. Fourth round, but before we do, Chris, just want to talk about Frank Lampard. Obviously, yesterday, a year to the day that he was sacked, Lampard really a gamble that that never paid off. Yeah, um, and it had to be a gamble at that stage. I don't know what the the alternatives were. I mean, at the time, I remember... Sean Dyche. (laughs) To be fair, Dyche was still in a job at at Burnley. So, yeah, he wouldn't have have been... He was actually doing his best to to, to get Everton down and keep Burnley up at that particular moment. I'd have gone for Dyche back in 2017 when uh, Ronald Koeman was sacked, but uh, we're we're sort of getting off the point here. Um, um, yeah, the alternatives were probably like I mean, Wayne Rooney was touted. He was one who I, I mean, I, I was speaking up for Rooney at, at the at the time, and it's not come well for him since um, uh, um, DC United and obviously Birmingham City, and it was going to be a gamble. Um, whatever you think about Frank Lampard, um, lovely man, decent man, 
a gentleman, one of the most intelligent people in football, and as a player, one of the greatest talents of uh, the modern era from from England. You know, a genuinely world class player with an eye, an eye for a goal from midfield. So we all know what he brought as a player. There's no questions there. FC broke Evertonians' hearts in the 2009 FA Cup final when I was down at Wembley for that one. So we all know about Frank Lampard, the player, but as a manager. Sort of a mixed bag at Derby County and Chelsea. He's kind of done all right and hadn't done amazing, but certainly hadn't done awful. But when he came to Everton that first year, united the fan base at a crucial moment, obviously after Rafael Benitez, which was a ridiculous appointment, despite what you you think of his past managerial um, record. Um, and he was the choice, the unanimous choice of the Everton board at the time, of both of the owner, Farhad Mashiri, late chairman, Bill Kenwright, Denise Barris, Baxendale, uh, et al. Um, they, they all wanted Lampard, and he, he did just about enough that first year to, to get them over the line. Obviously, the sterling efforts of the Evertonians off the pitch to, to, to improve the team, but I think the wheels came off after that um, double header uh, at Bournemouth. I was, I was one of those unfortunate ones. At least I wasn't... Um, paying like all those blues to get down there but Joe and I did those two trips to Bournemouth in four days a thousand miles there and back for two free goal uh, defeats and uh, after that World Cup break it never got any better for him just got got worse and uh, make no bones about it Everton were heading for a first relegation in 72 years on Frank Lampard's watch whatever you think of Frank Lampard I'm convinced that was happening unfortunately he had to go there's been a lot of debate since about when was the right time to do it some people said after the Bournemouth but I think you're sort of looking retrospectively at the issue if you say that I mean it was only a week before Everton had the potential to go in the top half of the table or so okay they, that's, that was the beginning of the end for Lampard the Bournemouth but I, I personally I think the Brighton game was was the one when I'd have uh, made the decision, but he limped on until after West Ham United. Uh, well, it's because we had the yeah. the draw against City. Probably pasted over the cracks, doesn't it? Possibly looking back on it, um, yeah, yeah, the Stroud City event was it? The, I think it was the Brighton game um, after that, and then was it the FA Cup um, game possibly at Manchester United? But yeah, uh, let me say Frank Lampard, the man. I'm sure everyone got glowing. Uh, sort of um, comments on him and he was, we saw he was up at the cathedral when Joe and I were at the cathedral for Bill Kenwright's memorial service he, he was there that day um, so I've seen it, it touched him a lot at that, at that time Everton, he had a genuine bond with the fans he, he was a very popular man but just couldn't get him to work and to be fair what Sean Dyche has done in very difficult circumstances since sort of doesn't paint Lampard in a great light either. I mean, there's also what he did when he went back to Chelsea as caretaker. Uh, that one was messy as well, wasn't it? Uh, they, they, they hardly won a game when he when he went back. So, yeah, I, I don't know uh, where Frank Lampard's managerial career goes from, from now. Uh, certainly, I, I mean, I might be wrong. I, I thought after Marco Silva was sacked, we won't see him in English football again. And look what he's done at Fulham. He's done a great job, to be fair. But yeah, I don't know where Lampard goes from now. But yeah, he's been talking about that, hasn't he? He was on the podcast this last 24 hours and he describes Everton's January transfer window last year as being like the Wild West and the old um, sort of dynamic between Ken Wright and uh, Denise Barrett back to one side and trying to keep the owner far Mashiri in check. It's a, it's a very interesting le- uh, um, 
points that he makes. We've got we've got an article on that if you want to check that one out. But yeah, Frank Lampard, a great man, but um, serious question marks over his uh, managerial uh, ability, which, which is a shame given, given that you know what he was like as a player. But great players don't always make great managers. Described on social media yesterday by some as Everton's worst ever manager. The, the stats suggest he's Everton's second worst ever manager. Is it is that a bit harsh? Is he, you know, does he should he feel a little bit aggrieved or any sympathy for him? You know, we obviously did go into a football yeah. club all over the place. If you look at um, what he's achieved at his other clubs, you could argue that he was Everton's worst ever managing that. I mean, who's he up against? Mike Walker. Mike Walker took Norwich City in, into Europe, so that's a bit different taking Norwich City into Europe than Chelsea with their riches. Even if Lampard did start out with the the uh, the transfer ban um, there, so yeah, he's he's got he's got to be talked about in that conversation. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look at even Rafael Benitez, as much as you know, I would argue, and a lot of people would argue, should have never been there. At least he had a, a glittering CV from earlier on in his career. So yeah, I think unfortunately, uh, Lampard uh, vindicated in that conversation. And like I said, the, the work that Sean Dyche has done since on a shoestring budget with a lot of the similar players sort of doesn't paint uh, Lampard in, in a better light. We'll always have Palace then, I suppose. What yeah, yeah, he's always, yeah, that's just fair enough. Yeah, and then that was obviously a, a, a memorable moment. The only thing I would say is that I, it didn't fit right for me the way that that was sort of uh, you know it was up on the walls at Finch Farm, and you know I think they've probably taken those uh, down now. But as much as yeah, of course, celebrate in, in the moment, but don't have it up on the wall like it was one of the club's great nights in 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 their histories. Enjoy the moment, rightly so. I don't like it when people sort of look sneeringly like oh look at Everton celebrating staying up yeah of course enjoying the moment but yeah they just, Everton football club's got to be about a lot much more than just just staying up we've got a few more questions which I'm going to get to right at the end but Chris we're just going to really finish off with Luton yeah. and the FA Cup fourth round um, so at the end of the day it's just nice to be in the cup have some sort of interest in the, in the FA Cup and it's a home home tie go to some park yeah there's a few elements here like you say nice just to talk about football we'll get a token two minutes maybe yeah, talk about I football say, yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah um, so it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a football reporter um, <laughs> but yeah to talk about games of football we've sort of talked about it fleetingly haven't we um, but yeah it's good habits you know that some people said there's so much going on in the Premier League this year forever and, and I understand all this and ultimately that has to be the priority but I think that I know a, a cup run can um, it generate momentum, generates a feel-good factor. It gets you, as Sean Dyche would say, in good habits of winning football. Matches treated seriously. You just see how far you can go. I'm, I'm always banging on about this, the importance for Everton Football Club to be winning trophies or at least trying to win trophies because if a club... club Everton over, over, the, over the years... Only Manchester United and Liverpool have won trophies in more decades than Everton, so over nine separate decades, so going over like a 100-year period. They've never sort of dominated one area of the game, but they've always been there, are there, about to lifting trophies on a regular basis. And that's gone now over this last generation. The whole generation of, of, of Evertonians have grown up. I mean, you're a touch younger than me, aren't you, Ian, I think? But you know, I can remember the 1995 FA Cup. Where, I can remember yeah, that. Yeah. I was young. Yeah, but I was eight. I think yeah, it was eight. Yeah, so people, anyone a bit younger than us, they ain't got nothing. Well, yeah, it's it's an it's obviously an interesting yeah. point because I always look at the decades. Yeah, and you know, 
the success that we've had and we are considered one of the most successful clubs in England, you know, yeah. league titles, FA Cups. But like you say, we've never dominated yeah. like constant years. We've obviously had the, the 80s, which you would consider Everton's main glory days. Yeah. But literally after the 90s, you know, the, the noughties and onwards, the noughties was the first decade that we never yeah. actually won a trophy. And yeah. it's obviously can it's continued on. Yeah, I mean, a big part of that, to be fair, isn't Evan? Well, part of that is Evan's... We could start a whole new podcast now, can't we, on this one? But part of that is, is Evan's decline. But then I think it's become increasingly difficult for clubs outside of the elite to win trophies, even domestic trophies. In years when the likes of Manchester City have sort of hoovered up the lot, or the... the them, them lot from across the park, they, they managed to win a couple of cups without even scoring a goal and a couple of penalty shootouts against Chelsea a couple of years ago. So it's become increasingly difficult for clubs outside that elite to, to win trophies. So that that's happened and Everton have declined. Yeah. So there's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. there's been sort of two things with that. But yeah, Everton, you know, it's not like Everton are one of the minnows of the game. I think it wouldn't be too much to expect Everton to get to, to to win one cup per decade, something like that, on average, something like that. And the fact that it's coming up to 29 years now. So Sean Dyke's spoken about it. He says, you know, the Premier League's so important now. That has to be the, the priority. And fans will say because of this year's special in that there's so much going on, not special in a good way, but because there's so much going on with Everton, sort of don't bother about the cups. But for me, you've always got to give it your your best shot. And if you get a, a, what is seen to be a winnable tie this Gotta gotta go for it. Name your strongest um, team. I know there's the game at Fulham the following Tuesday. We'll just try and get that momentum going through. And we saw that with the cups because I think when Everton went out the Carabao Cup, and you and I weren't happy at all with Amadou Anana's uh, penalty that night. That was sort of the burst of the bubble of all that momentum they had in early December. Okay, you could say they ran out of legs and they ran into some tougher fixtures in the second half of December. But it would be interesting if Everton had a beaten Fulham. Okay, they got Liverpool in the semi final, but whether that momentum could have carried on a bit longer if, if they had have um, carried on there with the cup. And also, I would say, it's an opportunity to try and get a psychological blow on Luton Town, because as things stand, it's Everton and Luton and obviously third from bottom, Everton just above them. They're sort of in this psychological battle at the bottom, sort of to, to stay in the Premier League. But if you were to beat Luton and sort of get revenge, because obviously there was that 2-1 defeat that Everton suffered back in the end of September, which was Luton's first ever Premier League win. It was a, a, a huge moment for them. It was an opportunity to sort of Everton to strike a blow in terms of the, the, the mindset of going into that second half of the season and the, the relegation battle. You know, if Everton was like, they give Luton a... A good idea in the FA Cup or beat them comprehensively. It would, it, I think, they would. It, uh, it would um, sort of weigh on the minds. And also, if it went the other way, if Luton were to win again at Goodison Park, I mean, well, that wouldn't be great from an Everton psychological point of view. I missed the Luton game. How bad a day was that? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I didn't even it bother was, watching yeah, it back. It was a game Everton should have still won, or certainly got something from, I believe. Um, undone by a couple of set pieces first half. Calvert-Lewin, uh, the, the long VAR delay, as we've seen so many times, but one actually went in Everton's favour. Mm. Same as Villa, obviously, when Villa had the goal disallowed, but FC long VAR delay, and then the Calvert-Lewin goal got given. You still felt Everton got enough here to come back to, to go and get something out of the game. And they did it. It was very frustrating. And now, um, 
however, and didn't sort of, they weren't really knocking on the door in that second half. I was that I think I seem to remember they were playing better on DCL as a pair in that second half, and it just didn't work out for them. That was probably, to be fair, Deitch's lowest ebb. That was probably when he was he- feeling the heat the most because Everton had that rotten home record at the time still not great but they've picked up a few wins since that's probably when people still question marks a lot of question marks over Deitch and it was only after the three win win over Bournemouth that things started moving in in the right direction so yeah it'd be a bit be a big moment to try and sort of get one back and to loom both to progress in the cup and to sort of strike a psychological blow ahead of the the second half of the season with both clubs and the the fight to remain in the Premier League yeah and things have changed massively haven't they obviously you know the off the field you know issues we've well documented but you know Everton you know shouldn't be where they are in the league we should Luton are a rival now, so as a relegation rival, and they're the only ones who seem to be putting up a fight. But we obviously should be mid-table, and and we're not. So you know, Luton are effectively a, a close competitor. So we, I think you're spot on. I think it would give a you know a bit of an edge if we can you know send Luton to the sword, and then just you know, do you think they'll play a strong team as well? It'd be interesting because yeah, maybe for maybe for them. Maybe they would go, oh, yeah, Premier League is the be-all and end-all for us because, okay, we're talking about Everton are. Everton are genuinely in a relegation battle, but only because of the points deduction. So Everton, in terms of ability this season, are a mid-table team. So maybe Prem- maybe Luton would bring the changes and uh, see the Premier League very much as their priority. So it's, a, it's an opportunity there. But the, the, the thing is, the thing about Luton, okay, what they might lack, in ability and I mean obviously they do have players they've obviously got a couple we know all about Ross Barkley and um, Andros Townsend um, they seem to have got a lot of spirit in the camp there's the, the whole issue with the captain and what went on there and his health issues almost seems to have sort of rallied them really in terms of that respect and the, there's a lot of spirit uh, within within their group so yeah it might be important to sort of just sort of knock them um, back down to, to size. And, and like I said, and of course it can work the other way, you know, if it were to win, but were to lose, sorry. But yeah, I think that could be uh, an interesting one how they appro- approach the game because um, for them as, as, a, as a team fighting to stay up for different reasons, because I've seen it, it, it they're just um, done well just to be here as opposed to Everton who thinking they should be above all of this. Uh, their priorities might uh, lie elsewhere, but it'd be interesting to see either way. Let's pick our starting line up then. Obviously, injury and fitness pending. I'm going to let you go first because I know we're going to disagree on maybe one or two <laughs> things. Uh, so go on, starting line on Chris for, for Luton. Okay. Pickford and goal. Okay. Well, I've, I've, I've got a feeling he'll go with Virginia in game because Virginia did well in both of their third round games. So, Well, I'm going to interrupt Jet before you go on with your defence. I'm going to disagree with Jet. I'm going to say Virginia and it. I, I wholeheartedly agree that you should always pick your strongest 11 in the Cups because obviously it's 29 years now since we last won the Cup. But Virginia's given me the confidence yeah. now in the last two that he is capable of you know doing a good job. Yeah. But I also think it's twofold as well. Jordan Pickford seemingly over the past couple of years has never had stiff or strong competition. And I don't, I'm not criticising Jordan Pickford in any way, but there has been one or two incidents or things this season where it's made me think you think you are or you know you're the number one and there's no way you're coming out of this team so it's purely based on I want Virginia to push Pickford and then you know if we carry on into the next rounds who knows but I'm just glad that we've got a second choice goalkeeper who's given us the confidence that he will be able to you know man man that goal yeah Okay, um, it'd be interesting to see who goes right back Seamus Coleman was was injured last week we had I mean 
it'd be a good opportunity for, for Patterson for me a, a, a right back for this for this game. Um, and then I would stick to the regular back four: Mikalenko, uh, Bramthwaite, and uh, Tarkovsky. Um, in terms of the uh, the midfield, um, I, I, again, I'd be interested. The way he was talking, you fear that Abdullah Decore is not going to be fit, do you, for this one? So you've obviously well, I've left him out of my starting eleven yeah. based on the fact that you know he was going to be injured. With the hope that he might be back for Fulham on the Tuesday, but even then we don't know. So yeah, what you're looking at, Garner, Anana, then it does obviously Gomez the hero of the last round. Does he stay in? I guess he he, he probably does. Just a case, um, still a ways at the moment with uh, yeah. the, the Afcon. So yeah, you'd probably have the third round hero, Andre Gomez, possibly. Stay, staying in there and then on, on the wings um, Harrison and McNeil be interesting obviously he didn't start with um, Dan Juma who'd done well in the first game at Sellers Park um, um, that he, he started with uh, McNeil and Harrison for the replay and then uh, up front uh, DCL in the hope that he can get another one against Luton and then that that uh, that, uh, that barren streak but it'll be interesting with the Fulham game the following Tuesday, whether he does uh, shuffle his pack, but um, they've obviously had the, the rest now. But um, yeah, Ashley Young is uh, coming back into the is, is reckoning as well. So uh, who knows? He might he might get a start somewhere. Obviously, he can he can fill in a couple of different uh, roles. But yeah, I'd go strong. I go with my strongest eleven. Yeah, I think I'm the, the same back four as you, uh, Anana Gomez and Garner, Harrison McNeil and Carver Lewin. But I do. I think we touched upon this in the last podcast as well. I think. I want to see Lewis Dobbin given a chance, whether that's on the wing or up front, because he has looked dangerous when he's come on, and it's only really been bit parts, and he has made an impact when he's come on as well. So, you know, I would I would like to see him, you know, get given an opportunity. And I think we talked about the stale substitution that, you know, ringing Carver Lewin off for, for Beto. Yeah, maybe Dobbin is the one to come on for for Carver Lewin or one of the wingers. You know, should we should we need a, a goal scoring option? Yeah, certainly it's an opportunity to, to mix it up, doesn't it? And uh, Dobbin's done, done well in, in fits and starts. He's coming on a lot at the start of the season when he first came in. You thought, well, here's a player who's going to give his all for the club. And they, obviously, he offers a certain amount of pace, but he still looks a bit raw, I thought, at the start of the season. So he'd been playing in League One the previous year. But yeah, he's, he's certainly uh, he's caught the eye uh, at moments. And it would, it would at least give them an opportunity to change things around us, uh, a bit. But again, I don't know. Uh, in terms of a shape point of view, I'll open the Dijon B to that idea. But yeah, he's certainly an option. Predictions then? I'm going to go 2 0 to Everton and into the next round. I think something's um, similar myself, but just uh, to, to mix it up then a, a bit. <laughs> I mean, I could go one way, I could go 3 0, but no, I'll, I'll go for the the typical Sean Dyche scoreline then. I was going to say 2 0, but I'll go for 1 0 Everton then. I'm glad that I got, I got that in first. <laughs> 1-0 might be too close, especially when there's probably 10 minutes of injury time. <laughs> okay, so we're going to finish off now, but just finish off on a couple of questions, Chris. So thanks for everyone who's still listening, still watching on YouTube and Facebook. So Ian Clark on YouTube has said, I don't want 777 at all. But he's also asked or said, there are far too many pundits in the game who used to play for Liverpool. Why? Question mark. <laughs> And those in positions of power need to be transparent who they favour. Well, they, they, what he makes it, I think that's an age old question. Like I said, we're sat on a whole new podcast, aren't we? Going about the number of reds in, in the media, and it's been that way for a very long time. But yeah, I get where he's coming from in terms of um, 
obviously there's a lot of people with vested interest making a lot of points about Evan at the moment. Um, obviously they're a hot topic, and uh, like we've discussed already today, you know, that it it's it doesn't really stack up. You say, well, Evan spent all this money, and they they they've cut the cut off accordingly uh, in in recent times. So yeah, I can understand this his frustration <laughs> and that score, but I th- I don't think it's really the sort of time now over an hour into the podcast for me to be going waxing lyrical about what, what the reason there's so many former Liverpool players working as pundits but yeah it, 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 it does certainly show you that they, on a serious point of view uh, the, the sort of the, the sway they can hold with, with such views you are available for the pun, for the pundit job <laughs> no no um, Half Eating Sandwich on YouTube says hi guys how can Forrest continue to spend um, on players as I don't know. Is that are they are they spending on players? Well, they've been linked now, aren't they? With Rainer, but that was yeah, a Gio Re- uh, Reina and uh, Claudio Reina's son. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if they're up against um, these sanctions as well. As well, they spent a lot of money last summer. I'm not sure what their their outlay was uh, this last uh, twelve months. I mean, maybe they just keep going until they they. they Trouble. I, I don't. I don't. That's the problem, isn't it? And it opens up the whole Manchester City scenario, where you've got an eight-year, was it eight or nine-year period there being looked at, spend, spend, spend. Why is it only being looked at now? It's too late again, and that's another reason why Everton is feeling to get the thin end of the wedge. And I feel bad. This was finishing on a negative one, but Rob Fulton on YouTube has said, to be honest, and I feel really bad saying this, but we might be better off going into administration. I don't want Triple Seven anywhere near our club because they'll make things worse than Mashiri did. So, you know, controversial one. I'd probably say administration is the last thing Everton needs. What, what, what do you think on that comment? I, I can understand what he means, but like I said, it's just. There'd be so another all the good work, yeah, and the all the good work that Sean Dyche had done would be undone if if that happened, and it'd be it, how could you say that things would come out of it the other side and 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 look good, yeah? Because one of the main points that Everton have been saying is that look, ten points is a greater deduction than what Portsmouth got for going into administration, so there's nine points straight away. So, I mean, even. Even if you take the current ten points out of the equation, that is one of I, think, I believe one of the few things that is fixed in terms of what you can do and what you can't do in the Premier League is that it's nine points for administration. So if you look at those nine points and then say the appeal went badly for Everton, nineteen points. Well, even Sean Dyche isn't going to get that Everton out of that hole. So while I can understand the concerns, or a lot of people got on concerns about Triple Seven and all that's gone on with their portfolio of clubs around the world. Um I just don't see how Everton um survive something like that that that's just as, as much as i uh understand those concerns about the prospective owners i just don't know what sort of experience that is going to well i do know it's going to be a bad experience for everyone at everton but this is this is the tough spot that that, that all blues are in and the quandary that everyone is facing that i think there's a lot of people have a lot of uh, understandable question marks about triple seven but at the moment they seem to be the 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 only party going forward and that it was a question of all people. Neville Southall, the great Neville Southall, said last year when the when the interest, well, when the deal was first announced with Machiri, he says he can't understand why there aren't other people coming forward. He would think that with a new stadium, okay, it's got to be paid for, but all the um, the um, prospects that that brings and the, the potential to improve that there would actually ever be a, a good purchase for somebody, and he's just surprised why there aren't other people um, serious um, offers coming in. <laughs> 
which it, it, it is. It, it's just, it's, you know, you'd think Everton would offer somebody uh, a great opportunity here. So it does seem odd that they seem to be the only ones at the moment. And I've, but I've seen Mashiri had his talk through another American group last year and that all fell through. I mean, on the flip side of that, you, you might say there are people, you know, consortiums, you know, billionaires waiting in the wings, but the... the they don't support Everton at this time. They might be happy for the club to go into administration and get them on a, a cuff a cuff fee. Yeah, it's all the fear, the fear that you've got, haven't you? The, the vultures sort of circle and they they, they will only come in uh, and sort of pick from the carcass. Whereas you know, to you want somebody who has has got the club's best interests uh, at heart, and it's a shame that you know other people haven't sort of made their interest. Uh, known at this stage but like I say I think one way or the other it's got to go it's got to fall down one way or the other it can't continue in its current guys uh, indefinitely and uh, there's to be a point where either um, triple seven get the green light or they don't and uh, I think that point is uh, rapidly approaching yeah just a JEFC 1969 already sent in a question but on YouTube he's come back at me and said Dobbin can't lead the line any more than Mopai so you know difference of opinion but we will see Al Dobbin fears in the in the the next couple of weeks and months if he gets gets to go. So, Chris, are you in attendance at Goodison and Park on Saturday? I certainly am. I'll be in the Lower Gladys. Yeah, we'll be back there, Joe, Joe, myself. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just looking forward to like a game of football, like I said. Absolutely. So, yeah, Chris, thanks so much. Uh, for everyone listening, for everyone watching on Facebook, YouTube, please remember to like, follow and subscribe to our Facebook page and YouTube channel. We will be back with plenty of Everton content across the course of the next week or so, and hopefully we'll be uh, reacting to a, a win at Luton and progression into the FA Cup fifth round. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.